TYB On The Run with your host, Katie Halday. This is your daily Bible blast, the perfect fit for your busy life. Just one chapter, one revelation. This will change your life. Okay, TYB On The Run, let's wrestle again with Romans 10. If you haven't done Romans 9 uh, and you jumped in just to Romans 10, I'd advise you go back to Romans 9 because we are in the middle of 9, 10, 11, which are these core chapters about Israel in the um, identity of the people of God. So Romans 10, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down or who will descend into the deep. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Romans 11. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know that what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, 
May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles. In as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those branches. If you do, consider this. You did not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, sorry, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who, who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For for him, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Oh my gosh, two chapters in one TYB. I feel full. Do you feel full? You're probably halfway through going, is she going to read this whole thing? I decided to do 10 and 11 together. The reason being is you can't separate these guys because 10 is quite short but 11 is quite long and I feel like whoever put the chapters in here kind of misjudged the chapters sometimes. Do you know what? Sometimes, do you get that when you sometimes read the Bible? You're like, that's not a separation because when you, that's why you read the Bible books by books because you realize that some this lovely man or woman who put the chapters in sometimes got a little skewish. So I wanted to do them together. Can you feel it? Can you feel Paul's heart? for the remnant, for the Israel? Can you feel Paul's heart unifying Jew and Gentile and going, 
Gentiles, stop being so arrogant that you think you are the upstart new Christians that have come in to save the day. And he's saying, Israel, stop being so elite that you you think that they're, that they're not allowed in. We are all in this together as the people of God. And again, he talks about, I love this in chapter 10, 1, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And then he expands on this. Now, you know, so far, Paul will make a statement and then he will, like a great debater, he will back that statement up. He'll make a declaration. So his declaration is, for the Israelites is that they may be saved. His, his heart and his prayer is that the Israelites may be saved. And then he goes through and he says this beautiful, for I can testify about them that they are zealous. And he's saying, look, they're zealous for God. Can I say my heart is for Israel to be saved. My heart is for them to see the promise that was birthed in their nation, the promise of Jesus Christ. Now, I understand that they cannot see him as the Messiah because there's so much clouded around that issue for them. But when they do see that he is the Messiah and they become what's called Messianic Jews, what does that mean? That they're, they're, they're Jews that believe in the Messiah. They're Messianic Christ Jews. I love this beautiful moment where they have this beautiful lineage way back all the way through and they have the they get this revelation that the Messiah that they have been waiting for is actually Jesus Christ. When I went to um, Israel in November, I think I may have mentioned this, I was heartbroken and in no disrespect in any way, shape or form to the, to the Jewish people, but I was heartbroken at the Wailing Wall, not so much... Um, for, for the being at the Wailing Wall, I wasn't heartbroken to be there. I mean, I was so excited to be there. I was heartbroken that they were still wailing over a Messiah that had come. And I was heartbroken that they're still praying for God to come to this earth when he already has. And I, I felt the blindness. I felt this essence of, of Romans 9 to 11. It was this heartbreak of God that his child, his children, that he walked through all of the Old Testament, his children that that went into, fell into adultery and did all sorts of things. And, you know, uh, you know, it was just this heartache of a father that had birthed this beautiful nation through and then they they rejected his son. They rejected the promise, this promise that he'd been speaking about the whole time that they were so excited about. Abraham was excited that he's, through him um, the nations would be blessed. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, all these people were excited about the messianic promise. And then when it turned up, they broke God's heart because they rejected it. And as, as you're going through this, you can feel the heart of Paul saying, I get why they did it. But guys, we've got to keep this. And it says Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Elitism stops them from seeing that everybody is actually included in the people of God now. And he says, Moses writes this about the righteousness that it is by um, that it is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. And then he goes on this amazing moment where he talks about if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Oh, I love this. For it is, it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It's got nothing to do with your works. Um, and scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can I say, guys... I absolutely love Romans because there's these pinnacle moments where he's like talking about salvation and you can feel, I feel my heart stirring again for salvation. It's quite amazing that he talks about as scripture says. So can I say again, 
Paul is an anti-Old Testament because he uses the scriptures to back up his his um, debate. He's not anti-Old Testament. He's anti this essence of only the Jews, only that nation can be saved and can be called the people of God. And that's what he's saying. It's not and the law is not talking about I hate the Old Testament um, or get away, you know, do away with the Old Testament because he uses the Old Testament scriptures to back up his his argument. He is saying though, what makes Israel Israel is not not physical descent, not being born a Jew. What makes Israel Israel is the promise, the Messiah. So as we go through, guys, let's keep going. Let's jump into chapter 11. Are you ready? He says, I asked then, did God reject his people? Can I just rant a little bit, um, TYB? Uh, not long. Um, sometimes I hear this, this teaching through Pentecostal and, uh, you know, uh, maybe because I've grown up in the Uniting Church and Pentecostal Church, I don't know what anyone else is teaching, but I hear this teaching of, and I said it in the last podcast, Israel defied God in their idolatry and God rejected them. And time and time again, there's this essence of um, God rejecting them and starting again. And can I say that that makes out God to be very unfaithful? When you look the nuts and bolts of that teaching, even though I understand the essence of why you are teaching that, the nuts and bolts of that teaching is God is not faithful to his promise because his promise was always through Israel. And if, if he has wiped Israel out or Israel is no longer the people of God and has nothing to do with this, you are making God out to be unfaithful. Matthew over and over again says he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. What does that mean? He is, God is faithful. And God always knew that this promise of the Messiah would be through Jesus Christ so that the nations will be saved. And Paul says again and again, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people. Don't make in preaching, guys, that God rejected Israel or abandoned Israel or what, because it makes God out to be the one that's rejecting him. It's not God rejecting his people. It's Israel rejecting God. <laughs> when God brought the Messiah, when God brought the promises that they were waiting for and are still waiting for, they didn't see it. They were blinded. And that's the heartbreaking moment. Imagine having a beautiful gift that you've promised your, you know, your child their whole life. I'm going to, I'm going to raise you up and you're going to, I'm going to give you this beautiful gift. And then when the child gets the gift, they're like, well, that's not what I want. And they reject the gift. And that is what has happened. This is why Paul's heart is breaking is because they cannot see the benefit of the gift, which is Jesus, the promised Messiah the whole way through. So he says, God did not reject his people whom he um, foreknew, which means whom he has knowledge of. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. And he says time and I love this. He says, and what was God's answer to him? I have reserved myself 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. He's saying God always knew there was going to be a remnant. He And do you know how, when you read the Old Testament scriptures, how protective of that remnant he is. He guards Judah when the two kingdoms separate, the northern and the southern, and, and the, the top kingdom gets overtaken by Assyria. And the bottom kingdom, he guards the remnant in Judah because he knows this promise. And God has faithfully guarded this promise. The tribe of Judah was where Jesus was going to come through. Read the Old Testament prophets of this remnant, this remnant, this almost God like a beautiful father 
protecting this promise all the way through. God always protected the remnant because God is faithful to his promise. That's why, that's how important when you talk about remnant, it shows God's faithfulness no matter what happens. When they, when they did everything wrong, when they abandoned him, all sorts of things, God was faithful to the remnant. He always had, and this is why he's saying, Elijah said it. He said, God, you've forsaken me. It's all over. He's having a moment. Don't we have all have those? And he says, I've reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. He's saying, I've reserved a remnant. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. He's saying, guys, even now there is a remnant still in Israel that is chosen. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. He just throws that in there again. He says, what then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. They earnestly wanted to be righteous before Yahweh. They earnestly wanted to do this. And he said, they're still in their works. But can I say, guys, TYB, they're earnestly wanting to be right standing before Yahweh. They're zealous for Yahweh, our, our, for Father God. And as I'm reading this, it's actually heartbreaking that they cannot see the promise. It's actually heartbreaking that they cannot see the Messiah. It says, what then, what, what the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. And then he goes through and he says, um, again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? He says, no, not at all. Rather, because of their transgressions, because of their sin, because of, of their disobedience, salvation has come to the, gen, to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Guys, as Gentiles, as, as Christians, we are not to look back on them and say, oh, well, they sinned and they blew it and look at us. No, it's actually by grace because it says here, um, because of their sin, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them envious. We're almost like God's going, okay, you rejected my gift. Then I'm going to give the gift to somebody else so that you realize the value of the gift. And you start to realize, oh my goodness, that was actually the promise that I've been waiting for the whole time. And I didn't realize it. I was blind to see it. But if their sin means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion be? He's saying God always wanted them to be in the people of God, to continue to, to receive this gift with thanksgiving, to see Christ. And, you know, the, the disciples are the first of the, of the Jews to see Christ and to be saved. Paul, as a Pharisee, has this revelation to see Christ as the Messiah and to be saved. This, is the, this was the, the best case scenario. This is what Christ wants and, and Father God wants for all his people. I'm talking to you Gentiles in, in as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. And he's saying, guys, I'm the apostle to you guys but I'm not on your side. And he says, Jews, I'm a Jew, but I'm not on your side either because I can see your blindness and I can see Gentiles, your arrogance. He says, but you know what? We all have to have this. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. His heart is broken for his people that cannot do what he has done. Paul is a Pharisee that was zealous for Yahweh killing the Christians, killing those who were zealous for Yahweh. He knows, how is Paul writing this? Because he knows this. This was him. This was his life before that Damascus moment. He was zealous for Yahweh, persecuting the Christians, telling them how dare they become, be a part of the people of God, killing them when they said they were for blasphemy. blasphemy. And then he realized that Christ was the Messiah that he's been waiting for the whole time. And what he's saying in Romans 9 to 11 is, my God is faithful to the promise. And my God is so faithful to the promise that he, these people are going to have the same Damascus moment that I had, that Paul had, and the same revelation of Christ as the Messiah and the promised Messiah because my God is faithful. Then he has this incredible moment where he talks about the grafted vine and he goes, guys, you are 
grafted into this vine. And he talks about the Gentiles being this, I love it, being this um, this wild olive shoot that has been grafted into something that has been nurtured by the Father. Can you feel that? Now, you've got to think vines for, for Israel. They're, they're in a vineyard and the master of the vineyard comes down and nurtures them and they grow and he, and he prunes them off. And you've got this image of the Old Testament scriptures where God came in and as, as you know, this seed of Adam and then it, it grew into a, into a people group and then it grew into this nation and you can see God tending this beautiful vine. And then he decides to graft some wild olive shoot and the vine's like, what are you doing? And he's like, no, I am the vine. I am the, the vine keeper. I am the one. And then he talks about in, I mean, this parallels with the New Testament text of I am the vine and you are the branches. So we've got, and he's, I love this moment where he says, after all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? And you've got this beautiful image of this olive tree. And there's so much in this, guys. Do a study of olive tree where you press the olive and the oil comes out. This is the kingdom of God and the church as God intended it. The beautiful vine, the grafted in branches, all producing olive oil for the healing. And I, I love this. It's almost like the revelation, this this these branches, these trees on the side of the river that are for healing of the nations. And then he talks about all Israel will be saved. What, did he, what does he mean by this? Will all Israel be saved at the end? I'm not going to get into an end times debate with you, but what I will say is if we keep this in context of Roman, Paul wants Israel to see the Messiah and he's saying the remnant will be saved. He's saying, guys, Israel if, it, if it's not all Israel, then he knows that Israel will be saved because Christ has come and there is an offer of salvation to all of them. And then he does this beautiful, awesome moment. I'm over time, guys. I hope that has kind of enlightened you a little bit to Romans 9 to 11, that it's talking about the faithfulness of God to the promises of Israel. And he, that promise from the beginning was always Jesus Christ. And even though they're blind to it, hopefully one day, just like Paul, they will have a Damascus moment and they will see that Christ is the promised Messiah and that the people of God are all nations here on earth. So I hope you've loved it, guys. Cannot wait to study Romans 12 with you.